How you guys doing? Yeah. A lot of smiling faces. Uh, just to get this out of the way. Brazil lost. No. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the truth of the matter is uh, I went to cut my hair, and I have these battery-operated clippers, and I didn't check the battery first, so I got halfway done, and uh, the battery died on me. And so the only other option I had was my plug-in clippers with no, no, no guard for them. So I just, I just went for it. I went for it. I figured I'm in good company. There's a lot of fine gentlemen that are part of New City. That's right. Nick, Mike, I love you guys. So, yeah, I hope you guys still love me. You guys still love me? That's what I asked my wife. I walked out of the bathroom, and I asked Nancy when I saw the horror in her eyes. I said, do you still love me? And she said, I love you, but I'm not extremely attracted to you right now. glad after 12 years her love isn't temperamental it's a good thing and that's what we're talking about here today is is this concept of love specifically the love of god what do we talk about when we talk about the love of god when we say something like god loves you immediately when you hear that when you hear those words god loves you i think there's some roadblocks for us to overcome, get, to get to a place where we really understand that. Because love is difficult for us to wrap our heads around. Like, just think, culturally, we talk about love in so many different ways. We use the term all the time. I love my wife. Oh my gosh, I loved that pizza last night. <laughs> I love lamp. You know, it just... There's so many ways we use the term love. It's a general term. It's overused. And if we're not careful, it loses its meaning, doesn't it? What is love? And to confuse it even more, actually, uh, Jim and Sandy's uh, recommendation, I read this up in the Greek, and it's the word agape, which is the love of God. That's not normally the word we use when we talk about love. So it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this word. Our world, I would say, doesn't even know what love is. Not, not like this. So when we see a verse like this, we have to ask ourselves, does God love me like I love my kids or like I love pizza? Because maybe I'm not in the mood for pizza. And maybe God just gets tired of me and isn't in the mood for me. Or we watch romantic movies. Anybody? Yeah? Anybody grow up on Disney? Yeah? How many of the fellas love romantic movies? Yeah, there you go. All right, cool. You're in good company here as well. And and I don't know if you like romantic movies. I do. I'm married, you know, so I love them. And I have a daughter, so we love love romantic movies. And um, love in romantic movies is defined a little differently than love in this verse. Right? It's this overwhelming, passionate emotion for somebody. I love them, right? It's uncontrollable. People fall in love, and then in our culture, they often fall out of love too, right? So our problem when we come to this idea that God loves us is that it's hard to get past our cultural opinions about love. 
it's hard for us to get past the word and how we use the word love. So let's talk about what it means that God loves us today. The context for this passage, John three sixteen through 22, is we're just preaching through John. That's what we like to do here in New City. We like to just preach through books of the Bible. And Nicodemus has come to Jesus, this teacher, and he said, What does it mean to be born again? And Jesus is answering that question. And he tells him that it's a work of God. It's not a work we can do. It's a work that God does. And it's because he loves us. So look at John three sixteen. Pretty famous verse. You may not even need to look at it. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. How many of you guys have been watching the World Cup? You guys like sports? You see those signs that go up, John three sixteen. Anybody? Not as much in the World Cup. Maybe. A lot more in, like, baseball. But, but we see these things at professional sports. We see John three sixteen plastered all over the place. If you watch wrestling, maybe you see Austin three sixteen. Um, but most of us here today have this problem that we wrestle with in our culture. And that is, most of us do not really believe John three sixteen is true. Most of the people sitting here in churches across America, people that don't go to church, do not believe that what John 3.16 says is true. And here's what I mean. When you get to the... Let's just walk through the verse. It starts off, for God. Some people just stop right there. For God. Yeah. Yeah, I I know we talk about God a lot, but but I don't really know that God exists. So I can't really even go further into the verse. I kind of get stuck right there. Because I still have questions that remain unanswered. Because uh, to me, science and religion kind of seem opposed. So, so I'm stopping right there for God. That's what the first group does. But the second group goes on and they say, For God so loved the world. And the second group says, Yeah, I believe God loves the world, but I just don't believe He loves me. I believe God loves the billions of people on planet Earth, but... I somehow I'm just not sure that he actually loves me. Because maybe for you, love's an emotional thing, right? Maybe, um, maybe it's tied to what you do, how important you are, your worth. Maybe, maybe as you were growing up, your parents, when you got A's, they like rewarded you. But then you got B's and they said, better luck next time, you know? Maybe, um, maybe you earned a degree and you feel loved because you've succeeded at something or you look a certain way or you own a home. Maybe you had somebody who was supposed to love you. And instead, they always just expressed how disappointed they were in you. So for you, love is something you earn. It's not something that's freely given. It's something that's based on conditions. It's not unconditional. Let me ask you, do you have anybody in your life right now that loves you unconditionally? No matter what you do. There's nothing you could do to make them love you less. I, I know we, we have to correct our kids every once in a while. They're mostly perfect. Every once in a while we have to correct them. And one of the things that we've started doing as parents is when we sit down with them, look into their eyes and say, Ivan, I love you. No matter what, you are my son. No matter what, you can't do anything to make me stop being your dad. I love you. 
Because my love for them isn't tied into what they do. It's tied into who they are. It's, it's tied into our relationship. You guys tracking? So there's this roadblock for us when we get to some of these cultural things. And keep going. For God so loved the world. So loved. Not so liked. Not so tolerated. Not was stuck with it and felt obligated to it. But God loved the world. Loved you. So much that he gave his only son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, one of the problems with understanding God's love and seeing that Jesus came into the world for us to have life is that the next group struggles to believe that that life is actually possible. I was talking to somebody about this week and I said, you know, I don't think anybody actually believes in their heart. I think they know it, but they don't really believe that God loves them, that John 3.16 is true. And he said, no, no, there's a lot of people that believe that. I believe that. So I said, well, think about it this way. Um, when's the last time you sinned, right? For me, it was probably a few minutes ago. Like, we sin all the time, and, and one of the things we do, when, when you confess your sin, how many of you committed a sin and you've confessed it more than once? I'm not talking about you commit the sin, you confess, you commit it again, you confess. I'm talking about you commit a sin, and you just keep going back and confessing that same sin over and over to God. Anybody? I do. I know I've done that. Why do we do that? Well, it's because we don't really believe that God forgave us. We don't believe He gave His Son in our place. What this verse says is, God so loved the world that He gave. That's past tense. It's not because you sinned, but it's actually before you sinned. If you're taking notes, write this down. This is important. God loves us before we sin, not in spite of our sin. I know one of the common things we hear all the time is that, is that God loves you even though you're a sinner. No, no, no. God loved you before you ever were a sinner. That God sent His Son before you and I sinned. In fact, the Bible says in Revelation 13 that Jesus is the Lamb of God who was slain before the creation of the world. That God loved you and chose you and adopted you and wanted you for His own before the beginning of time. Can you fathom that? Can you imagine that kind of love? And if God gave His Son and took all our sins, past, present, future, nailed them to the cross with Jesus, why do we continue to go back over and over and say, God, forgive me for this thing I did? We heap guilt and shame upon ourselves that God doesn't even heap on us. And I think that's part of my struggle. The area, the group I find myself in is this category that I believe God loves the world, but I don't every day really believe that God loves me. Or maybe I could say I believe God loves me, but He doesn't really like me very much. Right? Like that crazy uncle I have. Anybody have that crazy uncle? You love them because they're family, but you could deal without them. <laughs> Why do I feel that way with God? Well, because if I'm honest, I sin all the time. And when I do, I not only repent, but it's easy for me to heap guilt and shame on myself and say, well, God will love me more if I do this. If I get asked about why we have such well-behaved children. If I get, if I get uh, in a gospel conversation with somebody I just met and I, and I win them to Christ. Oh man, God will really love me then. 
If people tell me how much they appreciate me, I feel somehow God is more impressed by that because it's easy to do. And John goes on, verses 17 through 18. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Now, if you, if you stop there at verse 17, you can fall into the lie that everyone just magically goes to heaven, right? But, but read on to verse 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. There's, there's an important truth here we don't want to skip over, and that is the reason the gospel is called good news is because bad news exists, right? What's the bad news? That the life that Jesus came bringing is available to everybody, but everybody doesn't take advantage of it. Everybody doesn't just end up in heaven. John Piper says it this way, death is much like a car. It takes you where you want to go. Now, we often get asked, you know, how can a good, loving God send people to hell? God doesn't. But God won't stand in the way of those of us who want to go there. It's like one of my mentors said it this way. He said, it's like someone who's gone through their whole life saying, God, I have no need for you. I'm self-sufficient. I'm a self-made man. I'm going to live according to that. What what I think is good, right, and perfect. That's what I'm going to choose. So when you get into eternity, God says, okay, you get to live out of your desire. I showed you who I am. I showed you your need for me. But you spent your whole life walking away from me. And now you get to eternity and you get to live out of your desire. Another way to put it, C.S. Lewis said it this way. I love this. He said, all of hell's doors are shut and locked from the inside. All who end up in hell choose it. Now, here's what happens. Our our culture doesn't like topics like this, right? The moment you talk about this, all the smiles disappear in the room. It's amazing to watch your guys' faces. It's like a social experiment. It's like, Jesus loves you. Hell. But Christians are, we're seen as arrogant, backward, intolerant because of saying that sin and judgment is real. But here's what's interesting to me. We just read through John 3, 16 through 18. What does John start out with? Sin and judgment? No. What's he start out with? For God so... Yeah. Does the Bible start out with sin? You read Genesis chapter 1. God makes everything. And he says... It's good. Sin comes after that. John could have started out with verse 17 and 18, but he starts out with verse 16. For God so loved the world... I don't know why sometimes people, like with the signs or whatever, standing out at big public events about the judgment, I don't know why people choose to start with that when we share our faith instead of starting with God's love. If we want people to experience true life change, we need to introduce them to the love of God. One pastor said it this way, you cannot experience real life change until you believe that God loves you. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Another way to say that is His his one-of-a-kind Son. That whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. And not just eternal life, like sometime in the future, but, but that means like life right here, right now. God 
sent his son to bring you life right now. He goes on, verses 19 through 21. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. See, one of the problems for us as followers of Jesus is that when we seek to live out of this truth, we very easily go right over to moralism and shame and guilt. I'm a sinner. I suck. I keep trying. I keep failing. Has anybody ever gotten into those patterns in your faith? Beating yourself up over the head. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's important to talk about sin and repentance. It's central to the Christian faith. Martin Luther started off the Reformation, first line of the 95 Thesis. All of life is repentance. Repentance is a daily reality. Sin is so important to understand because without understanding sin, we don't realize our inability to save ourselves and our need for a Savior. But God didn't save you to mope around in sorrow and stare at your belly button and walk around sad and angry and kicking yourself. I didn't know that was possible. Kicking yourself. Walking in condemnation. No, you are a new creation in Christ. Hear me. You have life. And the context of the life you have isn't your sin. The context of the life you have is God's love for you. That produces gospel joy. You want to have joy? Think about God's love for you before you were a sinner. It produces passion and zeal. You, you, you want to love others? Do you want to love, do you want to love people that, that run around and fall all the time? The only way to do it is to realize how loved you are by God. God's love is so amazingly overwhelming that it demands a reaction. It's kind of like the first law of thermodynamics. For every action, there's a what? Yeah, reaction. Uh, I can tell who really studied their books. Some people said equal and opposite reaction. Yes. Very good. Action and reaction. I mean, think about it. The main point of John 3.16 is the love of God. You are loved by God, this perfect love of a father. And we started out talking about the cultural definitions of love. Right? But how do you define the love of God? And we could spend all day talking about that. In fact, if you guys will deal with the heat, let's just do that. You guys want to... We'll spend a couple hours and really tear into the love of God. Yeah? <laughs> I like that there are people that would actually do that. That's awesome. I mean, one way you could do it is if you just start thinking about God's characteristics. The fact that God is perfect. His love is perfect. The fact that He's unchanging, immutable. His love for you is what? Never changes. The fact that He's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows everything and loves you in spite of. Like, you could just go down the list, right? But let's really let the love of God be defined by this verse. This verse says, God so loved the world that He what? Everybody say, love gives. Love so love that he gave. How does that show up? What's, so that's the action. What's the reaction? Well, it shows up. I'll just pull a couple of things out. Marriage. Relationships, right? 
One of the things we all dream about as we watch Aladdin, it's a whole new world. And one day we're going to get married and we're going to settle down and everything's just going to be perfect and peachy and we're going to be loved. Just going to be loved. How many of you have found that to be true? <laughs> My wife found it to be true. That's awesome. <laughs> How romantic love will give us hope and life and joy. But even marriage is not to serve us, but how we can serve each other, right? It's giving. We so love that we give. Paul tells the husbands in the early church, he says, Husbands, love your wives, how? As Christ loved the church. And he what? Gave himself for it. When you love something, you give to it. Like, if you want to know what you love, like, just look at your bank statement. For me, it would be food. <laughs> My family and food. <laughs> it's like, right. If you want to know what you love, look at your calendar. Where do you spend your time? What are you giving yourself to? Jeff Garner, I, I, I asked him this week, I said, how would you define love? And he said this. He said, love is attributing worth to someone else at cost to yourself. Love is attributing worth to someone else at cost to yourself. You want to know what God thinks, what God loves. Look at Christ. Look at Christ in this passage. What does he give? Everything. Gives his life for us. Before you and I ever did anything toward God, he loved us. Anything bad, anything good, he loved us. So let me ask you something. As you talk to people, family members, spouses, kids, co-workers, someone who doesn't really know Jesus, how passionate are you about sharing His love and explaining this love to them? This goes to the last group, the final group of people who don't believe this text is true. This group doesn't believe John 3.16 is true because they don't tell anybody about it. Bart Ehrman is a for, uh, foremost atheist, one of, the, one of the top in the world, teaches at North Carolina University, and he teaches a religion and philosophy class. And every year when he starts off the class, he asks his students some questions. He said, how many of you here believe that the Bible is God's inspired word? A bunch of hands shoot up, right? And he says, how many of you here have read the Bible cover to cover? And there's a lot fewer hands, right? How many of you have read Hunger Games cover to cover? All the hands go up, right? So he says, you mean to tell me that you believe that God wrote a book and you haven't read it? Now let's, let's just apply that here to John 3.16. You mean to tell me you believe that this love is true? That God, this, this God loved you with a one-of-a-kind, costly, luxurious love. And not only you, but everyone else around you. So much that he gave his one-of-a-kind son so you wouldn't have to live in the bondage of sin and death and negative emotion and abuse and depression and fear and anxiety and addiction and all the things, these patterns in life that we get into. He came to free you from that. You believe that, and yet we don't live that out and we don't tell people about it. Why? Because at some level... We don't really believe it's true. We believe that God loves us somehow, maybe in spite of our sin. And we just think, oh man, that's great, you know. Um, I'm pretty good, and God came and made, it, made up the difference, you know. Or, yeah, he gave me a clean slate, and now it's my turn to start over 
and work really hard now. It's, now it's my chance to do it right this time. But no, God loved us before we sinned, before we even knew we needed it. What would your life be like if you really knew that God loved you? Just, just sit in that for a second. If you really believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that God loved you unconditionally, all your sins forgiven, covered. And I know the response often, I'll probably get an email about it. It's Pastor Vince, like if you keep talking about God's love and grace like that, people will just sin, they'll do whatever they want. You have to be careful. People need the law. Like, let's just... There, there are some interesting responses as we see his love. Different responses. There's that response. People that say, oh man, it's, it's the lawless response. It's, oh yeah, it's unconditional love? You mean, I can get away with any conditions? Hey, it's party time, right? What has two thumbs and likes to party? This guy. And we live out as if his love is a license to sin. But there's, there's another response, right? Some people, some people get into. And that's this, this totally different response of like legalism. That his love is perfect. And we look at that and we say, oh man, you mean it perfects us? Well, let's get to work. Let's manage our perfection. Let's manage our sin. Manage our appearances. And live as if his love is this law that we must fulfill. So the legalistic and the lawless sides. But the gospel response, the good news, if you really get the love of God and it invades your heart today, if you really start to believe it more and more, our response is, is trust and surrender and resting in His love. When you accept His love and rest, rest in it, it will motivate your obedience. The love of God will motivate your loving response to Him and to others. You will become an object of love and you will become a source of love. That is how the love of God works. What does it look like for you to rest in the love of God today? To really surrender every situation, every fear, every hope, everything. To let His furious love for you just purge, to burn away the chaff of your life and cleanse you and reshape you. If John 3.16 is true, today you are free. We get to rest in the perfect love of the Father. We get to rest in the finished work of the Son and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. That's good news, right? Man, it's hot up here. So where are you today with all of this? Maybe you're in that category we were just talking about. You're saying, I'm not sure if God is even real. Here's part of why you're here. Maybe you're saying that in your heart. But maybe right now you're saying, God, if you are real, I'm ready for you to speak. One of the reasons you're here today is because you need to hear that God loves you. You need to hear that God sent His Son in your place because He loved you so much. So that you could be free from the guilt and shame of your past. That because of the cross of Jesus, you could experience what it feels like to let go of that guilt and shame. Jesus, Jesus says, I will remember it no longer. It's not because God is senile and forgets things. It's a choice It's an act of volition. I'm choosing to forget your sin and to let go because of Christ.
So whether you're part of that first group and wondering if God is even there, or maybe you're part of the other group where you think God loves the world, but I just don't think He loves me. Or maybe you're part of the group that you say, I can't imagine life the way He came to bring it in freedom. So I get stuck living in these patterns of law or lawlessness. Or maybe you're part of that last group that's not sharing your faith because you aren't believing its depth and worth. Wherever you are today, God wants you to know He loves you. God loves you. God loves you. It's the best news ever. It's true. Guys, don't settle for anything less than that. And this image is awesome. When a holy God looks at me, I I grew up with this image and it's been helpful for me. Holy God looks at me, he sees Jesus standing right there in front of me. He sees Jesus' perfection, Jesus' love, Jesus' sacrifice in my place. And he loves me. So my question to you guys is this. Will you turn to him? Will you accept him, trust his provision, rest in his work, and give up and give in and surrender to his love? If you will, I'm going to invite you. We're not going to do music here at the end right now. What we're going to do is we're going to take a time and we're going to do communion. The reason we do communion every week is to remember, to remind ourselves, because we need constant reminders that God loves us. He loved us so much that he sent his son to live a life in our place and die a death that we should have died so that we might have life. So gather, if you will, in gospel communities. If you don't have a gospel community you're part of, you can just join one of the groups. If this is your first time and you're saying, I really do want to surrender my life to God, I want to invite you down the front. I'd love to talk to you and pray with you. But maybe you want to rededicate your life and you'd like prayer, please come down during this time and and we'll pray for you. But let me pray over you before we start with communion. If you will join me in prayer. Father, thank you for your love that you heaped on us before creation. Thank you for sending your son on a rescue mission for our hearts and giving us a freedom we could not buy, a setting us free from a prison we couldn't break, healing us from a disease that we couldn't cure. God, you've done an amazing work. Jesus, thank you for your chain-breaking, life-giving love. Your willingness to live a life we couldn't live and die a death we should have died. You already died and resurrected. You already conquered everything we fear, death, You made a mockery of sin. You you already broke the chains to every addiction and freed us from the anxiety and unforgiveness and patterns that break our lives down. You already won and you did it for us because of your great love. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that you won't let our selfishness be the thing that defines us in our own hearts, our own rebellious patterns or what other people have said about us, the times people have called us losers or failures, even the good that they've said about us when they've told us how lovely or smart we are. God, help our hearts to believe that your love is the thing that defines us. Your love is the, the measure of our greatness in Christ. 
And Holy Spirit, thank you for your empowering love that speaks to our hearts right now, reminding us each that we right now are children of God. That we're being shaped more into your image now, that we have eternal life now, walking and talking with the God of the universe. Move, God. Move in our hearts. Speak to us. As we come together in communion, I pray that you would give us boldness, give us courage to be real and confess the areas we don't really believe, John 3.16. Give us boldness to speak the truth to one another in love and point one another to Jesus. And do a work in this church, God. We need you. 